I'm going to read together our reading this afternoon. It's from the Gospel of Matthew and Matthew chapter 18. We're going to uh, break into part of a section. We're going to read from verse 23 uh, through to uh, the end of the chapter. Uh, we'll break into the section, but we're going to comment on the section a little bit later on. If you have a Bible in front of you, you'll see where we're breaking in. Otherwise, you can follow it on the screen. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began, to, uh, began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I counseled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Well, we've been working through this uh, series, uh, Tales of the Kingdom. Again, if you haven't, let me encourage you, read through the Gospel of Matthew. Each of the Gospel writers have a different focus. Uh, they come at it from slightly different perspectives. They're all telling the same story, essentially. The life of this uh, peasant preacher, Jesus, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph and Mary, in human terms, in, uh, in eternal terms, the Son of God, God present in the world. That's what uh, the Gospels preserved. All of them point us to the fact that this Jesus of Nazareth was uh, in one sense no more than a human being and in another sense no less than the Son of God. That's a remarkable thing, isn't it? The Son of God in human form. Now that is either true or it's, it's a scandalous lie. Uh, Jesus cannot just be you know, an interesting bit of good news, uh, you know, somebody who's a bit of a model to follow. He's either, lived, he's either lived a lie which is a scandalous, horrific lie, his whole life, or what has been preserved down through these years is true. And what Jesus continued to uh, to come and to, to deliver as a message was that he's come to establish a kingdom. And he told stories. Jesus told these parables, and we, we see this parable today. The previous ideas that we've had of the kingdom, it's like weeds and wheat growing up in a field. 
one field contains them both. But there's going to come a time at some point in the future where the, the, the wheat is separated from the weeds uh, and one is, uh, one is kept and one is discarded. We had a similar kind of picture, didn't we, in, in last week's um, story that Jesus told where he described the kingdom of heaven as being like fishermen going out with a net, catching fish. Uh, good fish are kept and, and waste, waste product, waste fish, the useless are finally discarded. Uh, and we considered that a really quite stark warning, which Jesus doesn't pull any punches about. Uh, he considered the issue of hell last week. Uh, and the, the issue that Jesus says, you know, this is real. Um, we got that picture in, in Matthew chapter 13 uh, of a fiery furnace. And I just want to, again, re-emphasize that's not some sort of medieval idea of, uh, of uh, burning sulfur in a place where there's flames. It's Jesus' portrayal of what would have been a very common picture to somebody in Jerusalem. Outside of Jerusalem, all the rubbish was burned. It was almost a, a continuous fire burning outside of Jerusalem. Uh, it's where all of the rubbish was taken. It was taken to this waste site, gathered from the city, thrown outside and burned. It was continuously burning. And that's why Jesus uses that picture of hell being a continuously burning place. Uh, to try to emphasize that it is that which is disregarded and separated, uh, which is separated from God. Uh, this parable that we come to now this afternoon uh, tells another story. and We'll have a look at it. We're going to work through it. Uh, on the face of it, um, well, we, we've actually... Uh, thanks, guys. We've got the two verses that I didn't think we had. That's really helpful. Uh, we can see here that what started uh, this whole parable... Uh, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to 70, seven times seven, Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Now that 77 times, it, it can be translated literally in two ways. It's either 77 times or it's 70 times seven. Uh, the way it's written in the Greek, it could be either. But what you immediately get the idea is that Peter's got this ide idea of being, um, being very good. Uh, and therefore, if I forgive somebody, if he comes and asks forgiveness seven times, that's doing really well. And Jesus says, no, let's multiply that. So it's either 77 times or 70 times seven. Seven is important in the Bible. Seven is a really important number. It's a picture of perfection. Uh, God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day. So many things in the Bible f uh, center around number seven. What Jesus is saying is, you know, there is an infinite number of times that it's reasonable to forgive somebody. That's what it is. That's the way it is. And then he tells the story, a story which goes on to describe, uh, in simple terms, uh, a king, a rich man, who's a kingly kind of man, uh, kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And one servant comes before him. In fact, the, the way it's written, he's dragged before him. And uh, he's got, he owes him a huge amount of money. And uh, he's not able to pay. The king lets him off. And then he doesn't deal in the same way. I, I guess on the face of it, on the face of it as you read the story, what, what would your first thoughts be? I guess it's probably something like this because this was my first thought. As I read it, I see... Yeah, the kingdom of heaven is about um, having, um, because I know God's been good, then I've got to be good. So the kingdom of heaven is about it, me being good, and therefore if I'm good, on the back of Jesus being good, then I'm, I'm going to be accepted. That, that seems a fairly simple sort of way to, 
uh, to describe it. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Not quite. This story also rings, I think, with some kind of contemporary relevance. Something that really hits home to us. Do you remember the scandal of the banks? Do you remember the huge, huge, the billions, billions of pounds that are pumped into the banks uh, to keep them afloat so that they might survive? Now, I know, I understand that there is a whole kind of economic infrastructure that meant that the banks couldn't couldn't collapse and all of that kind of thing. I know that I know that that's all there. But you know, there's another aspect, isn't it? Just on the face of it, the banks uh, are saved by a handout, uh, and yet the banks then go and foreclose on a whole load of small people. It doesn't it kind of smack? Doesn't it hit hit home that this is what this world's like, isn't it? You know, the, the, it seems as though big things happen for certain people, and, but it doesn't follow through. Maybe to some extent, uh, we might feel that ourselves. Uh, big things have happened for me. Great things have happened for me, but I know deep down that I've not followed it through. What's Jesus saying here? Let's work it through. I think there's three things that we want to, to work through. The first is this. First is this. True forgiveness is never free. That's the first thing I want to say. And the first bit that we read here tells us that. True forgiveness is never free. Now let me just expand that and say, let's connect that to the kingdom of heaven. This might be one of the shocking things that you might hear because it might, on first hearing, and bear with me when I say it, you've got to stick with it, otherwise you might mishear. All right? You might think, all I've ever heard is that Christian faith is a free gift. I'm saying now, hear this, it's not free. Well, before you chuck me out, because everything that you've heard up to now says that the kingdom of heaven is free. I'm saying the kingdom of heaven is not free. I think Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is not free. Let's work out why we see this in these few verses. The story goes through that this man, this king, comes to settle accounts. Uh, and we see that uh, as he's settling accounts with these, uh, these servants, the word there is actually slaves, but look at, look at what has been entrusted to this slave. Uh, what has been entrusted to him is 10,000 talents. Uh, that is... I guess as Jesus told this story to those who were hearing, that is the kind of sum which is just, just beyond uh, comprehension. It's just a, just a colossal sum of money. Uh, we don't know what the, t- the talent was actually a weight. It wasn't, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't like the euro or the pound. Pound is a bit confusing, isn't it? Pound sterling, I mean. Uh, for those of you who are really old, you'll remember that we used to weigh things in pounds. And for those of you who are young, a pound was once a, a, a unit of weight, believe it or not. Um, but the talent was a weight. And it was very often used to describe uh, money. Josephus, who was uh, one of the great historians, told us about uh, talents that were paid to the Roman authorities. And uh, the uh, the payment by the whole of Palestine in taxes to the Roman authority was 8,000 talents. So here's this 
the, the people who hear this story, and Jesus says, this servant owed 2,000 talents more than the tax revenue of the whole of Palestine. Tells us two things straight away, doesn't it? Firstly, it tells us this man is in more debt than you can even, even imagine as money, isn't it? Um, you know, what is the national product of this country? I don't know what the national product of this country... What's the tax payment of this country? I don't know. But it's the kind of number that is way beyond our imagination. You know, you, we can't even conceive. Even Simon Cowell can't conceive of that kind of salary. Now imagine being in that kind of debt. That's what Jesus is saying. This man is in debt beyond you can imagine. He's in a hundred thousand, uh, sorry, ten thousand talents worth of debt. It's a debt that he can't pay. But okay, he's in debt, but what does it say about the resources of the king? The king himself has had the resources to be able to give that to the man in the first place. That's, that says something about the king, doesn't it? It says something about the, the resource of the one who lent it in the first place. And here we have this man who's, who's in debt beyond uh, belief. He comes to, um, we come to verse 25, and uh, once we understand that, once we see the kind of debt that this man is in, doesn't it seem just incredible what he, what he does in verse 26? When, it, when he says, he falls on his knees, uh, be patient with me and I will pay back everything. <laughs> be patient with me and I'll pay back everything. I'll pay back 2,000 talents more than the, than the debt of Palestine. Just be patient with me. It's just a ridiculous thing that he's, ask, he's saying to the king, isn't it? He just can't do it. He cannot do it. it. It's impossible. But what's even more remarkable is what we read in verse 25, because the king decides, uh, look at what he says, since you are not able to pay, the master ordered, master ordered that he and his wife and his children uh, and all that he had be sold to pay the debt. Um, he must have had some pretty, pretty amazing kids and an amazing wife if they could be sold to pay the debt. Yeah? Uh, apart from that, that's the very point. <laughs> it couldn't be paid. Even by losing absolutely everything that he had. In a culture where, uh, where your family, where your possession, your pride and your possession, where everything that you had, you eat, the king says, right, we're going to sell it. What does that tell us then about verse 25? Doesn't it tell us that, that the king is actually not concerned at this point? The king has just accepted he's not going to get the money back. This is a punishment, isn't it? He's punishing the man because he's not going to really get the money back. That's a bit like saying you, you, you owe... You, you owe 10 million pounds worth in debt. Now give me your pocket money. Empty your pockets. Just, you know, tip your purse upside down on the table, rattle it out, and hand over your watch. 
It's just, it's just nothing in comparison. So the king has got in mind here that as a result of the man's behavior, he's going to be punished, and, and that's what we see, uh, the decision. And so this man just, on the face of that, just falls on his knees. Have patience with me. He's, have you ever been at that position? I guess most of us have at some point. If you haven't, you probably will be at some point in life. Well, you're helpless. You, you, you promise anything. I'll pay it back. It's an empty promise. But, it, but it's, he's trying to do something in the light of the threat that he now faces. We saw last week one of the things that Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like this separation finally. There's going to come a day where the angels are going to separate the good fish from those that are going to be thrown away and discarded. I guess that what this indicates to me is that there probably will be those who will be finally separated from God who will be making the most empty promises before God, promises that they can never make when they realize the consequences. I think that's what this tells us. It's going to be some that it's just, that's it. So what happens now? This man realizes, I'm not, I'm not in prison yet, you know, but I'm in debt. I can't pay it. I've had it. He, he basically throws himself on the mercy of the king. And what we read in verse 27 is that the king is compassionate. What a great king. He, he has the kind of resource which looks at this man uh, and in the face of losing this huge sum, in the face of this kind of loss, He's got more compassion for the servant. He's got more compassion for the one who's falling on his knees in front of him. I don't know what your perspectives of God might have been over the years. I don't know what you might have thought, what other people might have told you about God, what your own personal experience of reading the Bible might be. Let me... Let me make it really clear, and we all need to hear this. Wherever, wherever we are on that journey of relationship with God, whether we've been following Jesus, whether he's been our Savior and our King for, for many years, or whether we're looking, at, looking in from the outside, wherever we are, we constantly need to be reminded of this. God is compassionate. God is this kind of King kind of king who looks at somebody in front of him who's broken, who's making an empty promise, the kind of promise he knows that they can never fulfill, uh, and, and, and he is compassionate towards you. That's really important because this parable is not saying right now, go and, you know, if you're really good from now on, I'll accept you. Because obviously we see that this servant isn't good. This king knows that this servant can't keep the promise. And yet he's compassionate. He's not compassionate 
because he's made the promise and therefore he's thinking, right, I'll, I'll work it out. I'll stick with him because he might be able to get me my money back. He knows that the man is finished. And we need to remember on our daily journey with, with Jesus as our king, when again we're in that situation where we've messed up, what's God like in the face of me messing up again, again, again in the same area? I've, I've done it, I've said it, I've been it again. What's God like? He's the kind of God that is compassionate. This man's debt is freely forgiven. But I said right at the beginning, forgiveness is never free. Why is it never free? Because it costs the king, doesn't it? Who pays the debt? The king. Where's the 10,000 talents that are owed coming from? Who pays? The king pays. The man doesn't pay. He's freely forgiven, but somebody pays. You know, one of the messages of the Christian faith that sometimes we can skew, sometimes we can twist and slightly misrepresent is that forgiveness from God is free. Well, it's free to us. But it cost God. It cost Jesus, didn't it? it just, just in the way that this Jesus describes this parable. Just in this way to say, it's going to cost me. This is not going to be a light thing. This is going to cost my son coming into this world, dying. Have you ever realized you'll know this personally? It costs to forgive, doesn't it? Uh, somebody says to you, uh, I'm sorry, I've hurt you. I've upset you. Uh, I've morally offended you. I've financially abused you. Whatever it might be. There are two ways to deal with that. One way is that in some way they pay back. It's not forgiveness, that, is it? That's payback. That, that's things balancing up again. The other way is true forgiveness. But if you forgive somebody, truly forgive somebody, you bear that, don't you? You do bear it. You know, that, that, that thing that has happened is never reconciled. You bear that because forgiveness always costs. But true forgiveness found in Jesus does really cost. It really costs God. I would guess that this king is saying more money than you can imagine. I'm prepared to bear the cost of as king <laughs> for you to be free. That's what, that's what this parable is saying. The king pays for the servant to be free. The second thing, I think, okay, that's the nature of the kingdom. That's what it's like. It's like a king who freely forgives at his cost. Free to us, costly to him. 
So who is it? Who is it referring to? Who is that personally referring to? Whose does that? Whose is that kingdom? Therefore, I think the second point I want to make is this: the kingdom must be personally received. Personally received. We can look at this story and we can observe it as a story, but we see how it unfolds. We see what happens. As this opens up, this king, who's, who's freely forgiven, this servant, uh, lets him go. Uh, and he's, he's there now, he just walks out of the king's presence, and uh, he sees his mate, who owes him a relatively small sum of money. You know, this really is the national debt against the pocket money kind of picture. He owes him, what do we see there, a uh, hundred denarii, is it? Uh, yeah, 100 denarii, verse, verse 20. Very small amount of money. How does he respond? He asks him for the money. Uh, and the servant says, doesn't he do just, doesn't the way Jesus construct the story does just the same? Be patient with me and I will pay you back. Jesus deliberately says he uses the same words to pay it back. Now, what's the difference between the king and this servant? The difference is this servant could pay it back, couldn't it? He owes him 100 denarii. You know, this is, wait for my next wage packet and I'll pay you back. He had the opportunity to pay it back. It could be done. This is possible, unlike the previous one that was impossible. And yet the servant's response, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's kind of this comical, almost comical picture that Jesus draws because it's so, he's wanting to say just how, how outrageous this is. He grabs him by the throat and starts to throttle him and then throw, gets him thrown into prison uh, until he can pay the debt. Now, the way it worked in those days, you say, well, how can you pay the debt if you're in prison? It actually then falls to your family. It becomes the responsibility of your family to pay. So one family goes free, one family bears the debt, while one goes free and the other one ends up in prison. Jesus is wanting to create such a stark contrast in behavior. One is an enormous unpayable debt that gets freely forgiven one is a tiny insignificance which doesn't get forgiven and yet it's the same person who's involved in both one for the same guy in one situation is falling to his knees and being forgiven and in the next situation he's throttling somebody and getting him thrown into prison i guess that that really does root out something of our nature doesn't it you know we catch a break we get back on our feet uh, and then we we see how we can then make sure that everything from there on works so that we do better you know why didn't this why couldn't this uh, guy pay 10,000 talents probably because he was broke and 100 denarii at that point probably does mean a lot to him You know, he's broke, he's had it, 100 denarii. It's all about me. It's about me getting back on course. I've had that break, I've caught a break, 
Now what can I do to make sure that I secure a future? How can I get 100 denarii in the next, in the next half hour uh, and, and use it to make that 200 denarii by the end of the week? That's his mindset. He's caught a break and now he's all about himself. Aren't we like that? Don't we behave like that? Now, aren't we just following through in that kind of behavior? Why? Because what Jesus is exposing here is a heart which is all about me. It's all about what I can achieve. It's about what I can, uh, what I can manipulate and what I can secure for me for the future. Here, here's this, uh, this servant who has not grasped what he's, what he's being granted in being relieved of this huge burden of debt. He hasn't grant, grasped what Jesus has said to the disciples earlier and why Jesus told this story. Having been forgiven, now you forgive. Now that does sound, doesn't it, like uh, you've had this, now you carry on living like this. What does it mean to personally receive the kingdom? I think that it's this. I think that what we see here, and, and to conclude, it's this. This servant has never yet, never in that period of time, after being relieved of a huge debt, he's never valued the king, has he? He's never walked away, and that, what has just happened to him, has, has never moved out of being a lucky break in his life. It hasn't been something which has made him think, what a king that is. What kind of a king that, you know, that kind of attitude, that kind of approach to life, that has been such a huge thing in my life, that needs to reshape the way I am. It needs to completely change the way I am, the kind of person that I am. There are many people who have expressed that there have been events in life that are li literally, literally life-changing experiences. Uh, there was an air crash, wasn't there, in the past, uh, past week or so. Uh, one young boy survived an air crash. Uh, I heard an interview a few months ago of somebody who survived an air crash. It was one of those, um, one of the people who'd survived, uh, where the guy landed the plane on the Hudson River. You remember that occasion? Uh, and uh, later on, they were interviewing some people, uh, and he said that that, that event was life-changing for him. He stopped the job that he was doing. He changed the whole pattern of his life. It, things that were important to him before became unimportant. I, I guess he was one example where that event was really life-changing. There'd be a whole load of other people who land on a river and, the, you know, after a bit of a breather and a bit of a getting their head together, they're back working in Manhattan trying to make a fortune on the stock exchange. It's not been life-changing. What Jesus is saying here is that you will never, you will never come to terms, you will never embrace, you will never be part of the kingdom of heaven until the, the king becomes bigger than the gift. An appreciation of the king is bigger than the gift.
coming to terms with what the king has done for you. You know, we often portray salvation in, the, in this way, don't we? It's all about us being saved. It's all about how great it is to be saved, uh, to be forgiven. Actually, there's something far bigger and there's something far greater. It's the king himself. The king is far better. The king is far greater. Salvation, being saved, is our way to be with that king. But we've never come to terms with it. That has never got under our skin. It's never reorientated, reshaped our life. It's never changed us. You know, salvation has been about what I can get out of it. And there will be some who will reach the end of life believing themselves to be saved and they'll never be saved because it's all about me. It's about what I can get out of it. It's about me catching a break so that I can now move forward and get something. And, th and this servant, he's not got that. But this amazing relationship that this king has opened up to him, I forgive you. You know, to be, to be forgiven that amount... That you, you, you open the door to relationship there. You open the door to knowing. You know, he doesn't forgive. Uh, he, couldn't, he doesn't forgive everybody that. Well, this is a, seemingly, it would seem for this king, a once-in-a-lifetime event in this story. And in a sense, that's precisely what it is for every individual. It's a once-in-a-lifetime personal event where we come face-to-face with what the king has said he has given. He said, I pay the debt. It's a greater debt than you can even come to terms with. You can't even begin to measure it. It's huge. But it's paid by my son. And it actually opens a door for you and me to be in relationship with each other. It opens a door for, you, for me to start to get under your skin. It opens a door for life to change. It opens a door for life to become so different to the past. And that's what this, this servant hadn't got. He'd not understood that. He didn't change. Didn't change. Goes and grabs a, his mate and throttles him. And then he's brought before the king. Didn't you realize what you've been granted? Didn't you realize how life-changing that should have been? Didn't you realize it should have completely reorientated life for you, and it hasn't, has it? Therefore, that relationship that I opened the door for you, you never accepted. Be separate from me. I, I'm separating myself from you for all of eternity. Jesus says there's the opportunity to be part of the kingdom now, to be in a relationship where the king is bigger than the gift. 